guys. Welcome back to another episode of the Spin Cycle Podcast. I'm your host, Kiara McKinney, and I've been absent a little bit, so I owe you a bit of an explanation. Essentially, I came down with strep a couple weeks ago, which was terrible as an adult. My husband, I think, picked it up at the doctor's office, and he had it for a couple days. I got it, had it forever, it seemed like. Took all the antibiotics, got better, then lost my voice completely, so I couldn't record. Then came down with a sinus infection right after that. So I am just now on the mend. Um, You might hear my voice get a little scratchy over the course of this recording, so I apologize for that in advance. Also, just sorry that I've been kind of AWOL, but um, I'm back now. I've missed you. I've missed this. And a lot has happened. So we are going to just go ahead and jump right in. The new live action Little Mermaid came out officially and it was as magical as we all imagined. Halle Bailey did incredible as Ariel really like exceeded expectations. I already thought it was going to be incredible, but... Um, She really nailed, you know, the voice made Ariel somebody who I think you sympathize more with. Um, I think kind of in the cartoon version, it's a little bit more of like a shallow story. Um, I think it kind of lacks a little bit of depth that maybe the other princesses have. But this remake, they really made an effort to make Ariel like more relatable, a little bit more um human I guess so to speak even though she's not exactly that um the songs really stayed true to their original versions which I was glad for I was kind of worried that they would alter things too much but it sounded really similar to the original versions and all the voices and um background music and everything was just magnificent Melissa McCarthy was incredible as Ursula she really also exceeded my expectations I was a little bit worried about her playing Ursula honestly um I was like oh god is she gonna make her like too funny she gonna make her like too likable um but she didn't she did a really good job of like sprinkling in the dry humor while staying really true to Ursula's like original character um the one bone to pick I have with the movie is like the hair and makeup I I liked the costuming a lot. I thought that the, like, mermaid tails, um, I thought that they did a great job with those because I think sometimes, like, mermaid tails can just literally look like, I don't know, like, just a fish on the bottom half, and it's just kind of, like, stale and scaly and gross, but (laughs) they made it more, like, fantastical. um, But they didn't go overboard with, like, the fantasy stuff on, like, the eye makeup and stuff like that that I was kind of worried about. I was like, are they going to, like, do a bunch of euphoria makeup on (laughs) on these mermaids? Um, But they didn't. And um, so I liked... Hallie's look as Ariel I thought it was perfect wouldn't change a thing I loved the color of her um scales I loved um the red that they chose for her hair I thought looked really good with her skin tone I loved they added locks um because I mean honestly like of course mermaids would have locks um but it really kind of stops with Hallie. Um, after that, it's like King Triton, played by Javier Bardem, who did a wonderful job um, and really made King Triton like both fearful but fatherly. I, he did a great job of like um, marrying those two attributes. Um, 
But his like beard, I kept getting like distracted by how curly his beard was, including underwater. And it would like sway, you know, like like hair does underwater, but it wouldn't uncurl. And it really annoyed me as somebody with curly hair. I was like, nobody, <laughs> nobody's curls stay this intact underwater. Um, so that was like a small bone to pick. Um, and then a lot of the other mermaids, uh, Ariel's sisters, King Triton's other daughters of the seven seas. I did not like their hair and makeup whatsoever. I felt like a lot of them were their hair up in ponytails, which just looks stupid underwater. <laughs> and it looks even stupider when they come out of the water and they're just like sopping wet with like a ponytail like stuck to their back. Like I just, I didn't like it. I felt like it took away from like the mermaid vibes in my head. Like mermaids all have like long flowing, beautiful hair. And it was weird that Ariel was like the only one. I think part of that was to kind of signal that Ariel's like the free spirit of King Triton's daughters and that all the other ones are like prim and proper and kind of like follow their um, roles that they're given and Ariel like kind of pushes boundaries. But I still felt like um, it would have just been more visually pleasing had they done more with their hair. I think there are other ways they could have sent that message, like maybe even through like the color of the scales, something like that. But they really clearly, like, focused heavily on Ariel having this, like, beautiful hair and all of her sisters kind of wearing it up or in a braid or something like that. They definitely added some elements into the story that weren't necessarily present in the original, but I actually thought that it made it a lot more of like a well-rounded story. Um, it, they added some more context to Ariel's like desire to go to the surface and also some context as to why King Triton is so against it. And I think that that made it like a more holistic, like complete story. And it also like humanized and like made Ariel a lot more sympathetic. She didn't come across as just simply like a petulant child who was like trying to do what she wanted. Um, there were a lot of more like, um, you know, deeper meanings behind things. And you could tell that they kind of took some inspiration from Moana. It's almost like the anti Moana because, um, you know, Moana's like feels called by the sea and like wants to be a good daughter and stay on land and follow her dad's wishes by staying on land, yada, yada, yada. Um, but she just like feels so compelled for adventure and like learns that her ancestors were voyagers and all that so it's very um like along those same lines that Ariel um and like during part of your world they do a lot of playing around with like the lighting and they do a good job of making like um living underwater seem like a dark like isolated um, experience versus what Ariel is like picturing the human world to be like bright and colorful and free. So um, I really enjoyed that aspect of it. And I felt like it provided like a better story for young girls to see as opposed to, um, you know, kind of like the original, which is kind of all about just kind of meeting a boy and being like, bye dad. <laughs> so I think that this is actually like a better movie to show your kids than the original one. Speaking of the original, people were really upset that the makeup artist is like a straight white man, in particular in regards to Ursula, because 
Ursula's character, which Rob Minkoff, the animator for the original Little Mermaid, as well as like Lion King and a bunch of other Disney movies. He's also, side note, married to Crystal Minkoff from um, Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. He confirmed that Ursula, the animation version of her, was actually based on an iconic drag queen, Divine, who has since passed away. So he already came out and emphasized that, yes, that, yes, um, Ursula is based off of, like, drag queen makeup. And so the fact that this, like, straight white dude tried to, like, kind of you know, recreate drag looks, but just clearly didn't know how to. Um, That is why people are dissatisfied with Ursula's look. And, you know, like, to me, I feel like it does, like, require a certain level of, like, uh, like, geometric extra expertise in makeup artistry um to pull off like ursula's giant eyelids and her like super high up eyebrows which that's kind of where the whole thing went wrong for this guy um let me find his name so his name is peter smith king and he's very upset he's very offended um and says that the comments that he's received are ridiculous. Um, He said, quote, why can't I do as good a job as a queer makeup artist? That's trying to claim it, and that's fine if that's what they want to do, but don't put people down because they're not what they want it to be. Which that, first of all, is like a bunch of word salad, but truthfully, um, he, uh, like, did not draw the eyebrows equally, and I mean... There's a, there's a lot of issues with Ursula's like makeup look. Um, I also personally thought it was a little too simple. Like Ursula as um, a cartoon, her face is a lot more like theatrical, and this Ursula kind of just had you know plain green eyeshadow um, with the badly drawn on blue eyebrows and then like just stark white face makeup and red lipstick and I felt like there needed to be a lot more blush and contouring and like sparkles and colors on her face and it seemed very like rudimentary to me um but yeah the makeup artist does not agree with the backlash will not take any constructive criticism um But nonetheless, the movie was a box office smash and grossed $211.3 million, which puts them nearly on par with The Princess and the Frog in their opening weekend. So um, pretty impressive. Meanwhile, Taylor Swift's era's tour trudges on. She has moved from her like southern part of the tour onto New England. She's been in Philadelphia. She's been in Foxborough, Massachusetts. And most recently, she did three nights at MetLife Stadium, which is where both the New York Giants and the New York Jets play. And speaking of the New York Jets, um, their new quarterback, Mr. Aaron Rodgers, was spotted at 
the Eras tour with his ex, Shailene Woodley. Now, these two have, like, a really weird history. They're two really weird individuals, um, but they were alongside their former couple BFFs, Miles and Keeley Teller, who are also very close to Taylor Swift. As a reminder, Miles Teller actually plays the groom in the I Bet You Think About Me music video, and his real-life wife plays his fake bride. Those two were known to be really good friends with Shailene Woodley and Aaron Rodgers back when they were together. So Aaron and Shailene were first rumored to be together back in July 2020 when Rodgers split with his longtime girlfriend, Danica Patrick, the race car driver after more than two years together and basically it was you know kind of low-key not super um dramatic that we know of but they didn't start to really like drop hints that they were in fact together until September of that year um they kind of started making little like um, allusions to each other in interviews but didn't come right out and like say each other's names or anything like that but then February 2020 they confirm to Us Weekly that they're dating and just days later um, Aaron refers to her as her his fiance at the NFL Honor Awards he says quote 2020 was definitely a crazy year filled with lots of change growth some amazing memorable moments 180 straight days of having my nose hair scraped playing for every for very little fans or no stands the entire season. I got engaged and I played some of the best football of my career. And then he listed a bunch of people to thank before shouting out, quote, my fiance without naming her. Then that same month, she goes on The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon and shows off her engagement ring. She kind of brags about the fact that she's never seen him play football, that he she never expected to marry somebody who played a sport. Um, blah, blah, blah. But then in April, so two months later, um, she goes on Instagram Live and is encouraging people to watch him host Live Jeopardy. Then in May, they attend the Kentucky Derby with Miles and Keeley Teller. That same month, they go to Hawaii with that couple as well. And if you remember that, that was like all over Instagram. Like for some reason, all of the gossip magazines, Us Weekly, People, Entertainment Tonight, all of those outlets were just like posting those photos over and over again it's like okay we get it they're on a couple strip in Hawaii it's really not that big of a deal they end up breaking up officially in May of 2022 essentially because um they were like long distance they didn't get to see each other that much um, they claimed to remain on amical terms, um, but they had been like seeing each other on and off. I guess they like first split in February 2022, so a year after announcing the engagement. Um, but then they kind of like bobbled in and out for a couple months and then officially split and announced that in May 2022. So we're a year removed completely from their official breakup. We haven't seen them together at all in a year, but then they show up together alongside their known couple friends, Miles and Keely Teller at the Eras tour. And something I was really intrigued by was that not only was Aaron Rodgers like dancing along to Taylor Swift in like, you know, the mainstream songs and whatever, but he knew the lyrics to some of the more like, you know, underground Taylor. Like he knew the lyrics to 
tis the damn season and was rocking out. I was floored by that video. I couldn't believe it. (laughs) So um, that's interesting. But I guess, you know, like they're a couple to watch getting back on, which I'm surprised by because they they never really made a lot of sense to me. Um, Other than the fact that they're both like a little odd. They're a little like granola, a little crunchy, a little um, off. (laughs) Um, But other than that, like, I don't know what they could possibly have in common. And obviously, like, in my opinion, when a relationship ends because of, like, time or distance or whatever, like, then that relationship was supposed to end because those kinds of things are just not really an obstacle when you're with the right person. But that's just my, like, (laughs) that's my married person perspective. Another broken up celebrity couple that attended the Eras tour together was Sean Mendez and Camila Cabello. This one is a little bit less shocking because we did see them kind of reunite at Coachella. So we don't have the exact timeline for this relationship because they started out as like collaborators, then turned into best friends, continued to collaborate. Then at some point things turned romantic, but we're not exactly sure when. They first like started to be rumored to be a couple in 2019 when their song Senorita first came out and like this the chemistry in the music video is very palpable. So that's kind of when people associate them being first being together. But they actually were first kind of linked up back in 2015 when they started working on some songs together. So um, they have a really long history, kind of like Haley or not Haley, uh, Selena Gomez and Justin Bieber, kind of like that vibe where like they clearly um, were kind of thrown together um, as two really young stars and then I think clung to each other for a sense of comfort and normalcy. But um, I don't know. Like, and we also don't know what led to their breakup. They released a joint statement in 2021, basically saying um, our romantic relationship is ended, um, but we love each other as people still. And, you know, like things are very amicable, but we just like can't make it work right now. Um, People suspected it was due to their really busy schedules, each of them, because when they first like were connected Camilla was still part of Fifth Harmony so her career has only gone you know onwards and upwards and Sean is like you know a perpetually busy um touring act so that one kind of makes sense but they first met at the 2015 VMAs um and then basically kept seeing each other at concerts, including um, once in September 2015, they reconnected backstage at a Taylor Swift concert. Um, so it kind of comes full circle. This was during the time that I believe Sean Mendez was opening for Taylor Swift. So yeah, totally full circle moment for them to be at the Eras tour together. And like I said, they were spotted together at Coachella in April, and both of their camps basically put out statements saying that they were not officially back together, that they were both single, having fun. Um, They said that their kiss was like a one-off, but then 
just a week or two later, um, they were seen holding hands in L.A. They've been seen on, like, lunch dates and walking through New York City together. They've been seen um, at the Hollywood Improv, at a comedy show. So they've been kind of, like, hanging out in public together for a while. But now they're going to eras together. So, yeah, if you are wanting to get back with your ex-boyfriend, all you have to do is get floor tickets <laughs> to a Taylor Swift concert and bring into that and then boom you're back on follow me for more relationship advice <laughs> there's been quite a few internet issues going on while I've been on my hiatus I've been following along very closely <laughs> as I always do and while I'm going to do some like roundups of these sort of things on the Substack. I do want to touch on two of these like semi-viral hiccups made by some very popular TikTokers. So first, I want to start out by talking about the Teachers Off Duty podcast, which aired a couple weeks ago. A lot of my followers on Instagram are teachers because one of my best friends is a teacher and a teacher influencer at that. So she has something like 50,000 teachers following her. She shouted out the spin, the spin cycle Instagram, and now I've got seriously like 60% teachers following me following me on there. So I got to gather intel <laughs> through my social media following, which is nice. So essentially what happened, actually, let me give you a background on kind of this podcast um, and this podcast network, et cetera, et cetera. So the Teachers Off Duty podcast is one of three podcasts created by a podcast that were called Board Teachers. And I'm kind of confused because they all seem like the exact same podcasts, um, just with different names. There's Hot Mess Teachers, Teachers Off Duty, and The Teacher Talk Show. And they kind of just like recycle all of the same like people and topics. So I don't really I don't really get it, but I'm not a teacher, so I'm not gonna try and get it. Um but I am currently on the board teachers website. They have like teacher resources and activities and like book recommendations. They have printables. They have merch. They have something called teacher TV, which I guess is just a bunch of content from their creators talking about teachers. Another thing that I find to be very strange is they they're doing like a live tour this podcast and they have like they do like stand-up comedy um like teachers do stand-up is like a thing that they do and um they travel and do comedy about teaching yeah I (laughs) I don't know that I love the idea honestly of a bunch of teachers using um, their experiences with minor children as a way to like gain a following or become a celebrity or a comedian or whatever it is. I just, that kind of rubs me the wrong way. Obviously I'm not a parent. So like I, I'm not a parent. I'm not a teacher. I don't know, but I do just find it to be a slightly, 
frightening um, to know that children primarily fuel the material of these comedians. So they're doing three shows in Houston. Um, they're actually doing the Majestic Theater here in Dallas. They're doing the Paramount Theater in Austin, Texas. Like, these are big theaters. They're not doing, like, tiny little, like, improv clubs. Like, they're doing theaters, um, symphony halls. It's crazy. They, they're booked basically all summer, um, starting June 8th through... Let's see, through August 13th, they're touring all over the country. And then in the fall, they start up again September 15th and tour all the way through November 19th. So they're former teachers who have literally transformed their careers into like, I guess, making fun of children and other teachers. And I just like don't understand how A, that is supporting teachers in any way, but also how that's like good for kids. I don't know. I, in sharing about this controversy and asking for people's opinions, I had a lot of people respond and say that this board teachers group is problematic. Um, I didn't get a whole ton of specific like like n- no specific incidences that were like huge and like mind-blowing other than what we're about to talk about most things were just like offhand comments said in tiktoks or like just like statements made that like made people rubbed people the wrong way i think it just kind of was built up over time to where people started to raise an eyebrow um but this most recent incident i found to be particularly disturbing in the episode that aired on May 23rd, one of the teachers on the podcast Teachers Off Duty, which again is produced by Board Teachers, essentially is complaining about having students with disabilities, complaining about adhering to their IEPs, which I actually don't know what that stands for, but I do know that that essentially is like a sheet that details all the accommodations that a student with a disability is entitled to. So this teacher is kind of, the topic, let me go back, the topic is parent-teacher conferences. So this teacher is basically complaining about parents of disabled children asking, verifying that they are in fact adhering to the IEP. And the teacher makes a point to say something about students who quote unquote barely qualify blah 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 which in, in all honesty does not connect with what the next person said this was an edited clip and you can tell that there's context missing but um don't get mad at me <laughs> this is the way it was edited um so she says that and she's clearly like also trying to be careful with her words a little bit um but you can tell she's just like kind of irritated with the fact that she has to teach disabled students, um, especially ones that quote unquote barely qualify. But um, I have a lot of teacher friends. I have friends who work in a mental health capacity at schools. I have coach friends. I mean, I have like more friends who work in public school (laughs) than like anything else. Um, And I think that most of my teacher friends like the general consensus is that 
they would love to have kids who qualified less because like some of their kids, um, and not to say that like, you know, not to like harp on the disabilities, but just the fact that there are some students who are mixed in with like mostly typical, typically abled children who maybe like really shouldn't be because they actually need more accommodation than this teacher can give them. And that's really something to complain about as opposed to having to deal with like the disability of a kid whose symptoms are very manageable by one teacher. Um, So anyway, all that to say, then this guy chimes in to the conversation and says, well, I love talking crap about the disabled kids in front of them because you can say like he's D-U-M-B and he doesn't know what you're saying because he can't spell. And they all laughed. It's like four of them and they thought it was funny and cute and then they used that as a promo clip on TikTok and Instagram, which I think is what really blew my mind. It wasn't just that they thought like, oh, this was kind of sketchy. Like, I hope people just breeze over it and we're just not going to call attention to it. They actively clipped it and called it out like it was like the best part of the episode and to entice people to watch it. So that was very, very strange. Then they apologize. And here's the apology. It's seven slides, so bear with me. (laughs) I'll skip over anything that's dumb. Um, Dear valued listeners, viewers, and followers, we recently posted a clip from an episode about a parent-teacher conference on the Teachers Off-Duty podcast, social platforms that included a conversation in which we regret that our words and thoughts were not carefully chosen. Which... That's that's the first slide. I don't I don't love that. I think that that's um, not a great thing to say. We regret that our words and thoughts were not carefully chosen. So you don't regret the fact that you make fun of disabled kids behind their backs, but you're sorry that you chose to share that, I suppose. Um, so that's interesting. And they say for everyone that it hurt, whether it be a student, parent, or fellow teacher. As teachers, we always want to advocate for our kids and educators and always try to keep them out of harm's way. Unfortunately, during this recording session, we fell short. Additionally, looking back, a joke was made that upon listening to your concerns and reflecting, we see was wrong and in poor taste. Again, you should have known. I am not a teacher. I am not a parent. And I know that that was crazy and out of line. So, like, I think that it bothers me when people, like, claim ignorance in their apologies like this. Then it goes on to say, often we use comedy and humor on our podcasts that we hope listeners understand and is never intended to be malicious. And though intentions weren't meant to be so, the impact it left was. First of all, word salad, um, not good writing. I I think what they're trying to say is, uh, take a joke, bitch. (laughs) Which is like, I don't, that's not what, you can't joke about, people like that when you literally that's like cops like joking about shooting people would that be funny to you would it be funny if surgeons joked about letting people die on the operating table would that be funny to you I just I don't get it then they say while there may be hundreds of other published episodes in which we show and express our support and how we advocate for our profession and our students this one failed to do so again just like trying to get out of responsibility. They really should have left it after the very first slide, which already wasn't good enough, but they continue to just dig this hole deeper. 
They say thank you for everyone who called us into a conversation and expressed how our words were harmful and have now given us the opportunity to reflect on how we can learn to do better and be better educators and advocates. That one's fine, whatever. As always, we appreciate your support and will continue to make a more conscious effort to use our platform to spread happiness and empower others. <laughs> stupid. Just so stupid. And I just, I really just, I don't know. It bothers me. I don't, I don't respect the, like, punching down on a child with disabilities as comedy like I watch a lot of comedy podcasts I listen to a lot of comedy I have pretty thick skin when it comes to jokes but punching down on a disabled child is not funny to anybody except for maybe like the cool kids that you're trying to impress in that teacher if you're the teacher that wants to be like Mr. Cool because you don't have any friends your own age and of course the guy who said that who made that terrible joke is on the comedy tour So take that for what you will. If you are a teacher who listens to this podcast, I'd love for you to send me a DM, send me a voice note, you know, email, whatever, however you want to get a hold of us and let me know your thoughts on the situation. Also, if you're a parent of a disabled child, um, anything like that, I would really love to hear your perspective on this. Obviously, um, like I said, I have a lot of friends who work in school, so I know some, but I don't know exactly how, like, Um, disability accommodations are made or maintained or anything like that I just know kind of how the I know how the parent-teacher conference goes I know what the IEP is and that's kind of where my knowledge is so if you want to provide any context or color please feel free um, to write in and let me know your thoughts so this next piece of internet drama as we speak actually the person in question just posted a tiktok after a week hiatus and that is Michaela Naguera and if you don't know who that is she is the makeup tiktoker who screams at the camera in a fake Boston slash New York accent that she has been faking um and it's highly obnoxious I hate it and the only reason I haven't blocked her is because I enjoy following the drama that she creates all the time. So one recent controversy you might be aware of is the Lashgate shenanigans that happened a couple months ago. Essentially, she was hired by L'Oreal to help promote their new mascara, which has like two ends and helps like create the illusion of eyelash extensions apparently it's a really good product but when Michaela reviewed it first of all she hid her like L'Oreal partner tag um behind her name um instead of putting it in the caption that said like ad or L'Oreal partner she like put hashtag L'Oreal partner and like on the video and then hit it like underneath her name so that it wasn't super clear that it was actually a paid partnership Um, But then she goes on to like use the makeup in this like tutorial as like as if she's like trying it for the first time, whatever. But then it like skips from one clip to another and you can clearly see that she is put on like a false lash extension um, to promote this product. So after that, a lot of people, you know, she got a lot of backlash from that because not only was she trying to kind of hide the fact that it was even a paid partnership in the first place. She used deceitful practices to showcase 
the product, um, which shows obviously like a lack of integrity as an influencer, which is, you know, the whole reason people follow influencers is to know like what they should buy versus what they should stay away from. Um, the whole purpose of following influencers is literally to be like, okay, where do I spend my money? What are the people who get to try everything for free? or get a discount on everything or whatever. What are, what do they like? Because they're not gonna, you know, t- steer us incorrectly. But unfortunately, <laughs> Michaela, um, really putting her foot, put her foot in her mouth with this one. And it caused a lot of creators to like go back and compare her like paid videos to her organic ones. And, she would say things like how the Rare Beauty blush was like her favorite ever. She was obsessed with it. And then in another video that wasn't sponsored, she turns around and says that she actually doesn't like it and that it's actually hard to blend. Um, but then she attends the Rare Beauty like event in New York. So there's all these kind of like mixed signals. She's not very consistent, that sort of thing. Well, most recently, a week ago, as of today, I believe, She posted a video that she um, was dyeing her hair black um, with box dye and that she had previously been trying to go blonde, but she like didn't want to anymore. Her wedding's coming up. And so she's decided to dye her hair black, which is like fairly normal. Not really that big of a deal, but she wouldn't really like accept, you know, responsibility for the fact that she was choosing to go blonde, like right before her wedding. And that, um, going from black to blonde is like a real ordeal. She kind of like threw her hairstylist under the bus in the comments. And in some of the ways, um, that she sets the video up, she kind of tries to, uh, make it seem like her stylist did her really wrong and didn't know what she was doing, blah, blah, blah. Well, the hairstylist actually jumped on to essentially defend herself. She was nice and says something to the effect of like, you know, I've been doing Michaela's hair for a long time. It's been a pleasure. Um, But any hairstylist will tell you that, you know, going blonde from this dark of a color is a process. And I'm always really upfront and clear about what that's going to look like. Um, And you can tell when people dye their hair at home versus getting it done professionally. Um, And she kind of explains how, but she um, basically comes on there just to be like, I know what I'm doing. (laughs) Like I'm not, she like basically saying that she didn't appreciate um, the way that she was kind of made to look like an amateur um, kind of, by Michaela's remarks and then Michaela's like stands which she has a lot of she has these like rabid fans who will attack people (laughs) and they all started attacking her um so she kind of like clapped back at them it's been a whole thing um and so now it's been six days and Michaela finally posted again on TikTok and much like she did after Latchgate. She went silent for several days, um, but then when she popped up again, she didn't address the controversy at all. She just kind of like went right back to business. She duetted an Alex Earl video um, and kind of is pretending as though nothing has happened. Last but not least, we've got to talk about this end of an era that we're experiencing on television right now first of all succession just ended on sunday um in a very both satisfying yet gut-wrenching way 
Um, it was devastating. It was heartbreaking. It was exactly what I expected. Um, and somehow that didn't make it any easier. I've really fallen in love with those characters and by proxy, obviously, the cast members. And my hope is that even though this is, you know, the series finale, this is a wrap on Succession, my hope is that we'll see the Roy siblings um, on screen again together in another project as not the Roy siblings. Um, Jeremy Strong actually has been in a project before with the actor who plays Mencken, who is the president-elect on Succession. Um, He and that guy, whose real name I don't know, (laughs) they both were kind of bad guys in the movie Molly's Game with Jessica Chastain, which is a great movie. I highly recommend it. I, my favorite type of movies are movies where people are doing something criminal, but I'm rooting for the criminal. And that's um, the kind of movie it is. It's basically about, it's a true story about this girl who's like a former Olympic skier who finds herself as like an underground gambling kingpin kind of. Um, it's not exactly that. <laughs> it's not exactly that, but it's close. Um, she kind of starts running poker games and it involves a lot of, Famous people and rumors and fun stuff. So if you're into true crime, if you're into pop culture and celebrities, which I'm guessing you are because you're listening to this podcast, highly recommend Molly's Game. And you'll get to see Jeremy Strong and all his douchey glory. It's awesome. Um, Sarah Snook, who plays Shiv on the show, gave birth to the baby that she's been pregnant with all season. And so, yes, Shiv is pregnant on season four. She is um, pregnant in real life as well. So I'm guessing that um, I'm guessing that Sarah got pregnant and was like, hey, just so you know, I'm pregnant. And they were like, no worries. We're going to make Shiv pregnant. Um, But she posted a really cute picture after the season or after the series wrapped um, of her holding her baby, who's also redheaded. And between their two little redheads, you see like the succession on TV in the background. And she wrote a really long, nice caption about like what the show is meant to her and um, how she's, how the show has changed her life and her life has changed again now that she's a mom. So um, it was a really cute little caption. And I just, I'm going to miss, those (laughs) I'm gonna miss those idiot billionaires so much and um like I said I just I hope we get to see um some of those actors in like other future projects together which is not at all far-fetched considering HBO loves to do that (laughs) if if you've ever noticed like a lot of um a lot they like reuse the same actors that they really like a lot and one of those is of course Sydney Sweeney she's on like everything that HBO does um so yeah I'm, I'm really hopeful that we'll see some reconnecting going on later um I also I don't know I wouldn't be surprised because HBO also loves to do kind of like spinoffs that are in the same universe but aren't exactly the same um storyline or like cast or anything so I wouldn't be surprised if we get like something that's like in the realm of succession but maybe more on the political side than the media side because all the politics are very much like in the background of succession um while the like business dealings are more in the forefront so I wouldn't be surprised if HBO and Jesse Armstrong came up with something that was kind of like the reverse of that and then kind of like the, the way that 
politicians try to control the media instead of the vice the reverse that we just experienced through succession so um because i know we definitely see that with um you know game of thrones got um house of the dragon and then they're about to get another a second spinoff um which i'm super excited for because i love the game of thrones universe but i could totally see um HBO doing that because we also recently learned that Euphoria and The Idol both by Sam Levinson are set in the same universe and Maddie Perez actually makes a cameo in The Idol so again anything's possible I don't really see like a spinoff of like any of the Roy siblings coming or anything like about the Roy family but I can absolutely see something that is like adjacent to Waystar Royco coming up in the next couple of years. So if that happens, you heard it here first, <laughs> but um, that's my hope. In reality TV news, Vanderpump Rules' reunion is finally airing after a long, long, long three months <laughs> of waiting for this very moment. The first episode aired last week. The second episode airs this week, and then we get the actual finale next week. So once the season fully wraps, I'm definitely going to do probably like a bonus episode that's all about Vanderpump Rules and Scandaval and other things because I've been forcing all my friends who don't watch Vanderpump Rules to like get started on it. I made my friend Beth, <laughs> I made her sit and just watch like clips yesterday on YouTube and I was like, get into it. Um, so I think she's going to go and start it. And then um, one of my other friends was like, well, it's just so many seasons. Like, I don't know, like where to, I don't know how to start, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, don't worry, I'll make you a guide. So I made like a guide of all of the like most important episodes and like the ones she can skip. Um, which is basically all of season eight. <laughs> season eight's trash, but other than that, um, just the best show. The be seriously, the best reality show I think ever. Because I'm not really a fan of like real world type shows where it's just like they throw a bunch of single people or not single people, whatever. They throw a bunch of twenty somethings and thirty somethings in a house with cameras and are like, okay go for it like Jersey Shore was an anomaly just because those people they casted it so well and like it's such a spectacle it's not like it's not a part of the country that everybody is like aware of the culture so it was like kind of exposing this Guido culture to us in the mainstream for the first time so I'm gonna exclude Jer Jersey Shore from that but like I don't watch Summer House I don't watch Winter House I barely watch like The Bachelor, like I really only watch Bachelor in Paradise, um, but I just think that like when you're just kind of like throwing people into a house and are like, all right, give us some television, like to me, everything comes across as kind of inauthentic. And that's also the difference with Jersey Shore. Like they really were like, oh, hell yeah, like we're ready to go party down at the shore. This is like actually how we want to spend our summer, <laughs> which that like just made it so much better. But anyway. Vanderpump Rules, part of what really makes it work is that most of these cast members have a long history with each other. Maybe not every single person, um, but a lot of them are like interconnected. For example, Tom Sandoval and Sheena actually opened one of 
one of Lisa Vanderpump's early restaurants, Villa Rosa, which has since closed, they were like on the opening staff. So they have known each other for like 15 years. They've worked together. Um, they have a real long-standing relationship. Tom Sandoval and Jax actually lived together back in Miami, like even like 10 years before the show even started. Then Tom Schwartz lived with them for a time, like, and then... Tom and Kristen were already dating when the show started. Like, everything was very, very organic, and I think that's what makes Vanderpump Rules such a spectacular show. In the same vein as, like, what I really like about Real Housewives of New Jersey is the same thing, that, like, all these families are intertwined and they go back so far. Um, All of those things are what makes good reality TV to me. I think random connections are no fun to watch. Um, But... Also, like, everybody knows that restaurant people, like, that culture is just so different. It's, like, it's its own thing. I worked in a restaurant for, like, three months of my life and was, like, oh, my God, you people are crazy. (laughs) And, like, all my friends who work in the service industry on, like, the hospitality side, the stories that they have, like, are just bananas. I think it's partially because the hours are so weird, And I guess, like, you're just kind of isolated with other industry people and especially the people, like, on your team. So I understand why it gets so, like, incestuous as it does. Um, But, yeah, I mean, they all sleep with each other. They all date each other. It's really insane. But it's very true to real life. That's how, like, restaurant people are. I don't know, like, I don't know what it is, but it's the case. Um, but also like, you know, Lisa Vanderpump is the owner of the restaurants and is like kind of like a mother goose to them all and is always kind of like guiding them toward like their career ambitions, um, helping them with their relationships, that sort of thing. They all really like look to her. Um, so it's, the dynamic is so authentic and relatable and, um, just the perfect perfect environment for drama to fester and it sure does and most of the time the drama is not like stupid petty drama that you're like why are you spending three episodes on this like some of the real housewives franchises it's like big drama that you like you have you take a side you know like and you like feel really like invested in it so i if you don't watch vanderpump rules you've got to watch it it is so good um currently the cast the castings kind of changed a little bit. Um, but since Scandaval happened, we've gotten a lot more <laughs> Vanderpump viewers on our bandwagon, which is great. But if you listen to this podcast, you're going to need to really know the ins and outs. So go watch Vanderpump Rules on Peacock right now. Anyway, on to the first reunion episode. Lala and Lisa Vanderpump actually kind of get into it a little bit. And I was actually on Lala's side. She essentially compares Tom Sandoval to her ex-fiance, Randall Emmett. And if you don't know anything about Lala and Randall, just give it a little Google and go down that rabbit hole. I can't get into all that right now. I will on the Vanderpump episode, though. I I swear. Um, So Lala essentially says... Everybody needs to be warned about Tom Sandoval. He's a dangerous person, which I wholeheartedly agree with. Um, Lisa Vanderpump, who is in business with Tom Sandoval, you know, owns two restaurant concepts. Or no, only one. She's not in on the Schwartz and Sandys, but owns Tom Tom with Tom Sandoval. 
obviously is worried about how Lala saying Tom Sandoval is a dangerous person is reflecting back on her and her business. So she defends him, which I understand, but at the same time just didn't look good. She was like, well, that's a ridiculous claim. Like lots of people cheat, people cheat all the time. Like that doesn't make somebody dangerous, which I agree with that statement in general, but Tom Sandoval has done way more than just cheat. He's lied and manipulated and gaslit and like just absolutely destroyed lives, not just Ariana's, but you know, he ruined his relationship with a lot of his friends, has put Schwartz in a very precarious situation, has put Lisa in a very precarious situation. So that is what Lala is talking about. Lala is saying he is so selfish and only cares about getting what he wants so fiercely that he is willing to toss aside anyone and everyone just like Godzilla ripping through downtown. And just a, I just need to go on a Tom Sandoval tangent. One thing he said at the reunion that really upset me that had nothing to do with Ariana or Raquel was when he kind of like downplayed his relationship with James, when James is like crying and is like, you were like a big brother to me. And he's like, you weren't like a brother to me. And it's like, oh my God, like, do you have a heart? Do you care about literally anybody else? Because James is sitting there crying, telling you, like, you took me under your wing. You paid for my engagement. I thought you loved me. You were my big brother. And all you have to say is like, I never said that. You said that. That's so fucked up. I just, that like hurt my heart for James in a way that like my heart has never hurt for James. Um, I just found that to be really diabolical and like, also stupid I think that you know at the end of the day Tom is trying to manipulate every situation and he's trying to manipulate himself in that situation to look better and for James similarly to Ariana to like look crazy and hysterical when really it just makes him look heartless um so I really like didn't understand that decision and thought that was a really poor choice on his part um some other interesting tidbits were that Lala pointed out that um, she could never get Randall to stay home, but then as soon as she called things off, then suddenly he was like constantly in the house and she couldn't get him to leave. And that seems like, based on Ariana's like accounts, but also her reaction to her, to Lala saying that, it seems as though that is um, the case with Sandoval. And that is, again, highly manipulative. So I definitely see what. Lala is saying about how Sandoval is dangerous. He's not just some fuck boy who like doesn't give a fuck about people. It's more than that. He like is actively out to try and hurt people. Ariana's dress is absolutely to die for at the reunion. I'm sure you've seen it unless you've been living under a rock. That hot little red dress with a midriff cut out. First of all, I cannot imagine wearing that dress and then sitting down. I mean, like, I don't know if my like fupa, my midsection rolls, or my titty would pop out first, but I could absolutely never sit down in that dress. <laughs> so I'm really impressed by that. Um, one of the best parts was her like walking onto set in that dress, and just Andy and James were just ogling her, which is funny because, you know, <laughs> Andy's gay. <laughs> But James was so cute. His eyes like lit up at her and was like, oh, my God, you could tell that she, he was like, fuck, yeah, and that was cute. So um, it's been really kind of comforting to see the way that both James and Lala and 
and Katie, everybody really, but especially James and Lala are like really going hard at Sandoval to where Ariana doesn't even have to do it. I think if I were in that situation, I wouldn't want to be the one talking that much, especially because she had already, you know, done so much. She had a one-on-one with Andy. She had her one-on-one with Sandoval. Um, So I think I'd be at the point where I'm like, I'm I'm done explaining myself. You understand how I feel. I'm not doing this anymore. So I'm kind of glad that she's sitting back and letting kind of her bulldogs take over right now. I also really respect Sheena for staying mostly quiet so far. Um, I think she is totally aware that she completely misjudged the situation and went about things totally wrong. And I appreciate the fact that she's sitting quietly and letting the other people who did see things talk so that she can really like absorb and like understand and process the situation. I think you can tell on her face that that's what she's trying to do. Um, and I also appreciated the way she stood up for Katie and said like, you know, after watching everything back, I, I, I really sympathize with you. I didn't realize how bad you were hurting over it. Um, and she apologized and then, you know, goes on to say like, you deserve so much better. And Schwartz is like better than me. And she's like, yes, I've also really enjoyed, um, getting more exposure to, Kristen and Jackson Brittany during this whole shebang. I'm actually really glad that we're not really hearing much from Stassi. Um, I'm so disinterested in Stassi and her life and whatever is going on with her and how this all relates to her. I just, to me, she's like not really part of this anymore in the same way as the rest of them. She was always, I think, too focused on becoming Queen Bee that she never really formed real relationships with these women. So, um, Anyway, I am really enjoying seeing Jax and Kristen and Brittany. And um, so Jax and Brittany went on Sheena's podcast, and we learned a lot of things during that episode number one. Um, Jax was already scheduled to appear on Watch What Happens Live before Scandaval broke. So he was already scheduled to come back and... um, you know, be on Bravo a little bit again, dip his toe into the water. And then he actually asked if um, he could have a different slot because he was supposed to go on right when Scandaval aired and he like didn't want to do that. So they that's when they got Lisa on and pushed back Jackson Brittany. So very interesting little tidbit there. Um, I also noticed that Jax has grown a lot just seeing him interview with his wife. Um, he really like lets Britney talk now in a way that I don't think he used to when they were first together or even first married. Um, and whenever Sheena would ask a question and they'd like both start to answer, he would apologize and be like, Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to talk over you to Britney. And I was like, is this Jax Taylor or is this Jason Couchy? Um, so I think that, you know, becoming a father and doing fewer drugs has definitely helped Jax um, mature into a man. Um, I definitely still think that he exhibits a lot of narcissistic traits, um, but he does seem to be somebody who has redeemable qualities and like has a human side to him that Tom Sandoval just completely and totally lacks. All right, guys, that's... I talked about so much, um, so hopefully... You learned something new this time. Like I said, I'm going to have a Vanderpump Rules themed episode once the season totally wraps. I think that's probably going to be some bonus content in addition to a regular 
spin cycle episode. We've got Easter Egg Hunt, a Taylor Swift podcast coming out on June 7th. Remember, that's the first Wednesday of each month. Go sign up for the Substack and follow us on Instagram, hang out, talk shit with us, et cetera, et cetera. I love you so much. Thank you for tuning in week after week. I'm so excited to be back after my short hiatus. I love you. Bye.